This is a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org. Um, morning, church. How are you? Morning. I'm, I've got the, the privilege of speaking without notes today because I can't keep my, my laptop open uh, because we don't have the, 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 the mic where, where, where I don't have to hold with my hands. So I'm going to rely heavily on the PowerPoint. Anyway, let's, let's press on. Um, I'm going to be using a scripture that we've used already uh, in this series. I'm going to be uh, reading from Matthew 25. Uh, which should be the first slide. So I think what would be easiest, um, given that my screen is off, is that we read the scripture together. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will, will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did, when did we see you sick and in prison and go, to, and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whenever you did, one of the, one, whenever you did for, the, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed in eternal fire, prepared for the devil and, and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. This is a very interesting passage of scripture. Um, we've, we've come across it before in this series when we were looking at um, poverty and wealth. Uh, and there was a different twist that was given to it. Uh, when Jeff came up to preach, he was talking about um, how uh, there was need for us as Christians uh, to give out of our abundance to give things to others as this reflected or mirrored what Christ would have for our lives. But I'm going to look at it from a different perspective today. I'm going to look at it from a different viewpoint altogether. The separation of people or the judgment of men at the end of times. Where Christ distinguishes between two types of persons. And the temptation is really to look at it from its simplistic perspective and say that 
he distinguished them uh, because of their works. And that's not the, uh, the theology that he, uh, or the, the slant that I would want to look at it because it wasn't th through works that these people were, were distinguished, but how they reflected Christ in their lives. He, how they he projected Christ in their lives. So there were those who were put on the right um, and those who were put on the left. And he gives the analogy of, of sheep and goats it's, it's often described as a parable, but I don't think it's a parable because when, when Christ gave parables, he spoke of, of real-life situations. He gave examples of fathers and mothers and children, but I think this is a very powerful illustration which he uses to show uh, what will happen at the end of times, how he, things will, will play out at the end of times. And I, and I think it's a very powerful metaphor uh, that he uses to distinguish the uh, uh, between two types or two categories of people. And we'll look at that in a little detail as we start to look at uh, what we see in the Bible being described as hell. Can I take at this juncture an opportunity to pray? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you've put us in this place, Lord God. Uh, you've put us in this place because you have a message that you want for the church, Lord. I pray for boldness, Lord God, as I speak this message, Lord God, that I put aside all these distractions, Lord, the things that keep us from focus on you, Lord God. Right now, Lord God, I just want to set aside the things that uh, don't matter, Lord God, and just look to you, Lord, to hear from you, Lord God. Speak to us as a church, Lord God. Talk to us as a people, Lord God. Build us in the way that you would want us to grow. Be glorified today, Lord God, as we speak your word. Amen. Right. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he talks about this, this whole idea um, of, of heaven and hell. And he says that there's a doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than, he, sorry, there's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this. If it lay in my power, but it, was, it has the full support of scripture, especially of our Lord's own words. Christ speaks a lot about hell. It's actually quite interesting, if we move to the next slide, that we find that Christ by himself speaks more of hell than the Old Testament, the whole entire Old Testament. He actually speaks more about hell than he does about heaven. We all seek the comfort of heaven because it gives us this warm, fuzzy feeling about, yes, things are hard now, but there's this glorious place that I shall ascend to at some point. But that's not the reality because Christ speaks more about hell, the pain of hell, than he does about the glory of heaven. Is there a reason to that? And I want to propose five, four reasons actually why Christ does that. Why does Christ spend so much time speaking about hell? And why do we as Christians not want to hear this? Why do we... Why do we keep quiet about this? Next slide, please. So that's the premise. And the first reason uh, is uh, Christ speaks a lot about hell because it's real. Uh, there was a time when uh, we were going through, um, we, we're doing this series, Bible in One Year, and there was a discussion that we had on the group that we created for this, which looked at a very, what I thought was a very unfair situation that occurred um, during the time of the Exodus. There's someone who 
went looking for firewood on the Sabbath. Uh, and he was caught looking for fire on the Sabbath. And he was brought before, before Moses. Uh, and he, Moses he sought of the Lord. He was asked, the people say, what should we do with this man? He was caught gathering firewood on the Sabbath. What should we do with him today? Then Moses said, let me seek the Lord. Let me seek the Lord and see what the Lord says. And Moses went and sought the Lord. And for some of us, like me, who grew up in the grace movement, would, would, would want uh, something to, a happy ending to this. You no, know, this guy, uh, it was his first time. Um, he didn't know better. He should be given a second chance, a stern warning, and he advised not to do this again. But that's not what we see in the scripture. What we see in the scripture is um, when this guy was found out and the, the Moses sought God, God said, put him to death. Put him to death. And for me, uh, when I read that, it, 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 it just felt as if um, this was very unfair. This was, it didn't seem, it didn't conform to my liberal notions of justice, which require pre-warning before uh, a sentence can be given. It seemed so unfair. But then we started to discuss it on the group. We started to reflect on what was happening here. And we realized that at the heart of this was God's objection to sin. We have grown up in a world where um, sin is something that, yeah, it's something that's there, but we don't really see the gravity of it, the, 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 the severity of it. And we don't see how God he does not like sin. And that also reflects our, our understanding of Bible. There is a theology which suggests that uh, love will prevail at the end, that uh, this, this discourse around heaven and hell is just really there to, to keep us on the straight and narrow, to keep us in line as we walk towards the, the target. But that's not correct. That's not what scripture tells us. It's not something that just to keep us scared and in line as we, as we uh, navigate the, the terrain that is the life that we have on this earth. Real, uh, hell is real. And we see it in a lot of scriptures. The Bible sp speaks about the reality of, of hell in so many places. Throughout the whole scriptures, we know that there will be a point where people will be put um, to pay for, uh, for their sins. Hell is real. That's the first point. That's why Jesus talks a lot uh, about hell. And there's a description that is given, uh, which is the next slide. Uh, throughout scripture, we see um, uh, an account that is given. Uh, Percy? there's an account that is given throughout scripture of what hell will look like, which is the second reason why Christ speaks so much about hell, because it's a terrible place. It's a terrible place. We, we talk about prisons in Zimbabwe. We say that there will be no food. Uh, there, will be no, there will be no shelter. Uh, you will be having to live in very cramped uh, circumstances. And we think that is terrible. But the Bible gives a very vivid uh, description of what hell will look like. We're told that it, uh, in Matthew, uh, the, verse that, the, the scripture that we've been reading on now, that it's, it's eternal fire. It's a fire that does not end. It's an unquenchable fire. We're told that uh, there will be shame and everlasting contempt. A constant feeling of guilt uh, will overcome men. It will be a place where the fire will be there and it will not be quenched. It's a place of torment and fire, everlasting destruction. A place of smoke, the torment rises forever and ever. It's, 
tawfa mut and self it's everything that you think is bad on steroids everything that you think is bad on steroids it is described as darkness the the the, the, the scripture in Matthew 8 actually describes it as outer darkness it's 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 really described in the most uh gruesome of terms and i think a lot of us who 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 who've grown up now in this era of grace sit back and think no but this can't be god god why would god want this for us why would god want this for us why why would this happen to us and i think it's because of that misplaced understanding of the place of sin in our lives the separation that sin causes if we can move to the next sin because i want to make a point if we read from 2 Thessalonians 2:1 to 9 it says that uh they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord from the glory of his might it, the the whole description that we see of of hell um likens hell to things that we will be able to 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 understand or to to internalize as human beings living on this earth we can see what fire is we understand what fire is we understand what darkness is but i have a th- i have a theory i think that all these things um are a metaphor they they are dis- they are looking to describe something that our minds cannot start to conceptualize and whenever you see the bible using a metaphor it is actually trying to describe something that's worse than the metaphor seems to suggest and so there's a contradiction if you read the scripture you find that in some in Matthew 25 it's described as it, as the everlasting fire but in Matthew 8 it is described as darkness fire and darkness they don't really gel but i think what 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 christ and what the scriptures are trying to describe is it's are trying to do is trying to give us something that our minds can work with our minds can work with Percy there's a song you need to play at this stage It's not a warm when she's away This is a song that we all know Ain't no sunshine when she's gone She's always gone too long anytime she goes away This song talks of of love, the human love, love between a husband and a wife for example. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And this house just ain't no home anytime she goes away. Thank you person. It it talks of separation it talks of um there's no sunshine when she's gone and it talks about something that we as humans uh, are able to understand i know that um for for a lot of us husbands uh the house is cold when the the wife is not there isn't it uh you 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 feel a sense of longing you you feel an emptiness you feel something is missing in my life and i think this is what primarily we will find hell to be um we will find that hell will be this a, a setting which will be filled with pain and suffering 
because the presence of God will be removed from men. Are you with me here? Let me explain. The heart of men is desperately wicked. But the good that we see in men is a reflection of Christ in us, isn't it? So think of men deprived without that goodness to show. This is hell. Think of a situation where your, your life is feeling empty and you feel like you're, you're downtrodden and you don't have the hope of prayer. You don't have the hope that God will come in and set change to your life. Imagine a situation where uh, you, you are in your house and you have nothing to eat, but without the hope that things will, will get better. Imagine sins, guilt. Imagine the guilt that you have, the condemnation that you have after sin constantly being with you. You, you know that, mo that moment after you've you realized that you've messed up, that feeling of guilt, that, that, that lowness that you have after sin. Imagine that being a constant state of being. Imagine that being your life, that there, there will be shame and contempt is what the Bible tells us. You, you'll be living with that shame constantly. You'll be living with the hope that you'll be living with the hopelessness. You will not have God to turn to. And there's nothing in scripture. There's nothing in scripture that suggests that there'll be repentance after death. There's nothing that says that you will have an opportunity to say, God, I am sorry because you've experienced this. This is what hell is like. I think what the Bible does in, in giving us metaphors and illustrations of what hell will look like, the, the idea that it will be fire and brimstone, the idea that it will be sulfur, is just to, to, for our minds to, to be able to grasp the horror, the pain, the suffering that we will experience in hell. Total separation from Father. Where will you get your peace? Where will you get your joy? Where will you get your gladness? Where will love come from without God? This is what hell is. It is total separation from the Father. There will be no hope. Man will be as man is without God, deprived and low in his state. That is what hell will be. That is my theory. So it's, for me, it's not something that we want to see. And it's not something that we want to see for others. And when we sit here and we, we celebrate the goodness of God, and we are not reflecting the goodness of God in, in, everywhere that we're walking, everywhere that we're, 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 we're moving around, we've not quite captured the severity of hell for those that we walk and see. I often ask myself after having a conversation uh, with people, whose story have I told? Because very often when you meet someone for the first time, the, the temptation is to say, ah, my name is Brian, I'm married to Titi, we have three kids. We use that opportunity to tell our story. When there's a bigger story to be told, to stop people from going to this place where there will be punishment with everlasting destruction, when they, where they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord. Whose story are you telling? Whose story are you telling? Next slide, please. The, the other reason why uh, Christ speaks so much about um, hell is that there is eternal consequences. Uh, very often we, we think that um, 
the the people that will will go to hell are the really bad people. You you're thinking that um, it's a place where you'll find Hitler. It's a place where you find uh, Stalin. It's a place where you find these really horrible people that we've seen in history. But that's not the, that's not the account we see. Uh, the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us in so many places, Paul in so many of his letters talks about if you sow in the flesh, you will reap death and destruction. It's, it's such a simple equation. It's got nothing to do with a mass genocide or, or anything. It's, it's have you confessed a Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? There is eternal consequence. Uh, this person I quote says that, uh, explains that hell is, in the New Testament, is a constant reminder that there is a final account for our brief, uh, for our beliefs and behavior in this life. Whatever the particulars and the temperature and the, uh, and the durability of hell may be, it is a reminder that this life is basically the time for decision. The decision we make now can indeed have eternal consequences in the, in the afterlife. And frankly, there is no bad, frankly, this is not bad news. It is a part of the good news that in the end, justice, as well as mercy, righteousness, as well as compassion and holiness, as well as love will win. That's the flip side of it. Because when, when most people talk about uh, hell, they talk about the consequence. They talk about um, the pain and suffering and don't realize that the, 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 the debt has been paid. The debt has been paid. It's a horrible place. There is, it's unimaginable how horrible this place is. But something has been done for us, for us to experience life in heaven which is the flip side of hell. We all need a savior. It doesn't matter whether you um, um, are, are, are running a charity and you're, you're giving half your, 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 your wealth to, to the poor, but have not come to an understanding of who Christ is in your life. Because we have a lot of good people that we know. A lot of good people that we know. But do they know Christ? Where are they going? What is the consequences? What are the consequences of their beliefs and their behavior? Is it eternal damnation or is it eternal grace and love and peace? These are sober questions that we have to ask ourselves. Because what the parable of the goat shows us is that it's not just terrible people that are going there. These people stood there, standing on the left and saying, but God... When did we do these things? They were shocked. They were not the, the, the lowly people. They were not the, you know, I think Hitler would be like, yeah, when I send those people to, to, to the torture chambers, yes, yeah, no, that, I, I was really being bad there. He, he would not have doubts about he, how bad he is. But the people who, who were there standing on the left questioned uh, how bad they had been. They questioned the Lord to say, but when did I do these things? When did I do these things? How did I not meet the standard, they ask? It's something that we have to remember. When we see a person on the streets, whose story are we telling them? 
are we bringing life into their lives or are we just glorifying or, like, or exalting ourselves? Whose story are we telling? There's a story that is told in Second um, Samuel 2, Second Samuel 9, about David. He, he, he says that um, he stood there and he asked, who is there left of the house of Saul who I can bless? Uh, and they looked for a servant of, 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 of Saul's called Ziba, um, who, who was there somewhere in the courtyard. And they, they asked him, is there anyone left? And they found some relative of, of Saul's uh, who was crippled on both legs, who David invited to, the bank, to a banquet, who David invited to his table. And David communed with this person and he gave him the inheritance that was rightfully Saul's. He gave him an inheritance uh, of land. He, he gave him a permanent seat on his table. And Jesus talks to, he tells a parable that is recorded in Matthew 22 and in Matthew uh, 14 about a, a king uh, or a rich person who, who has a banquet uh, he invites a number of people to his banquet and sends out invitations. And when he had prepared the meal and the banquet was, was set and everything was ready on the table, he, goes, he sends his servants out to go and call the people that he had invited to his banquet. The, the servants went and they saw the first person and the first person says, I've just bought a piece of land. I've just bought a stand in uh, Mount Pleasant Heights. Uh, I can't come to church. I can't tithe because I'm still building on that property in, uh, in, in Mount Pleasant. Then he went and saw another person and he said, uh, no, I've just bought this really nice Range Rover. He, the, the, the illustration in the Bible is of five oxen. Uh, I've just bought this really nice uh, head, of, head of kettle that I need to go and tend to. And yet another gave an excuse. I've just got married. I need time, he spent time with my wife. There's always an excuse for not coming to the, to the table. There's always a reason why we're not coming to the banquet. There's always something that is keeping us from uh, taking heed of the invitation. And everyone that we meet will have a reason. Everyone that we see will have a reason why they've not answered the invitation of the, of the landlord uh, to come to the banquet. We have reasons why we also have not dug deep have not reached out and really sought God and made God the center of our lives. There's always a reason why we haven't come to the banquet. And my encouragement to you today is that we really need to dig deep into ourselves to say, have we looked at reasons why we are not pressing in further? Are these reasons justified? Have we addressed the reasons that those that we are ministering to are giving for not coming to the table. I want to conclude with a quotation. It says, there is one very serious defect to my mind. Sorry. Uh, there is one very serious defect in, in, in my mind in the Christian moral character. That is that he, he in, in Christ's moral character, that is that he believed in hell. I do not myself uh, feel that any person who is really profoundly humane can believe in everlasting punishment. Christ certainly, Christ certainly as is Christ certainly as depicted in the gospel, did 
believe in everlasting punishment. And this was someone who didn't understand um, the whole concept of hell. I think the reason why this person did not understand the concept of, girl, of hell is that he had not understood the free gift that was redemption and heaven. And so for a lot of people, they don't come to Christ because they've stopped at this hell discourse and not understood the conversation around the banquet. And we need to start to tell people about the banquet. We need to start telling people that they have an invitation to the table of the king. Even if they're crippled and both their legs are broken, they have an invitation to come and sit on the banqueting table with the king. Let, not, let this not be the testimony of a lot of people. Let us not stop people from coming to God because they've not fully understood the free gift that is eternal life that comes through knowledge and love for a living king. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you are God. Father God, we confess that sometimes we give excuses for not coming to the banqueting table. We give reasons, though fine-sounding in the mind, uh, are not convincing to you, Lord God. We pray right now, Lord God, that you bring us to repentance, Lord God. You bring our hearts to right standing with you, Lord God. That we understand that our, our actions have eternal consequences, Lord God. I pray right now, Lord God, that you uh, to minister to each and every one of us, Lord God. Start to speak to our hearts. Start to bring to memory the people that we know that have not come to an understanding of who you are. People that are on a treadmill to hell, Father God. I pray right now, Lord God, that you start to, to give us conviction in our hearts. Break our hearts to the things that break your hearts, Lord God. Help us to understand that the story that we should be telling is not our story, but it's your story, Lord. I pray that you help us to understand that we need to be speaking life into people's lives, not telling them stories of our pain, of our joy, of our accomplishments, of our failures, Lord God, but speak the ultimate story about God's grace and God's gift to all mankind. Be glorified in our lives, Father God. Let us have an eye for the harvest, Lord God. Help us to fill, in, fill, uh, fill this church that you've given us to, to, to its brim, Lord God. Pack to the roughesters for you, Lord God. Be glorified today. Amen. You have been listening to a podcast from Kingdom People Church in Harare. For more details, please go to www.kingdompeoplechurch.org.